there's a lot of mentoring out there. Mm -hmm. But actually, the higher you get, the lonelier it gets. Mm. And the more and more you need to be able to have people you can trust. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezariaki Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, we have Michelle de Klerk of the Women's Chapter. She's an incredible woman who has had several careers in journalism, marketing, business development, and now has found her purpose in entrepreneurship by helping high-impact businesswomen find themselves, connect, inspire, and thrive. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Michelle. She's an incredible woman who believes that anything is possible and trying is important. Great. Well, thank you, Michelle, for joining us in this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you very much for having me. We were having a good uh, chit chat before I hit record, but let's get dive into, I guess, the working parts of you. I'm here to kind of dig a lot out of you. My first note here says putting women on. That is my perfect description of you. I met you, I want to say in 2004. 14. Yeah, probably that far back. And it was an introduction from Investec Bank and a mutual friend who had said, I would love for you to meet with Michelle. She's a great woman, really hardworking. And at the time, I think you had just had your kids. Had you? They were a few years old, but it was kind of, I think that event that you took part in yeah. was one of our first sort of formalized since having kids outreach yeah yeah so it was a massive boundary pusher for me yes uh, i mean because there were 190 people at, the, at yeah, that event it was big and i remember even just me getting up to speak on the stage yeah i like had to stop my knees from knocking yeah. together <laughs> and i and i remember thinking what an incredible human oh, um, wow. at the time and obviously it's always interesting how in time and I guess we realized that in time and space, we're in very similar places in our lives personally. But at the time, for me, the, the way the introduction came, and then through that, there was the article in the Telegraph, and then, you know, promoting this event on women and resilience, and our ability as women to strive, achieve, nurture, all at the same time, mm -hmm. and how we felt about it as women. And just to let you introduce, Michelle is the founder of Women's Chapter, an incredible, in your words, I guess. So essentially, it's a networking and event platform mm. for high impact women. And um, what's really kind of come out of that journey and how it's evolved is that it's become a mouthpiece and a showcase for women-led business and the incredible women, the female founders and leaders mm. behind organization, because I'm fascinated by the stories of these women. And that's what inspires me to do what I do. I think it's um, incredible, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But I mean, it's it really, you know, it, it's been a labor of love for a long time. Mm. You know, I think businesses, as you know, we don't yeah. wake up and have successful businesses. No. And I think um, that's why the podcast is so important, because I think in a business like yours, which is part event driven part consultancy driven part mm. 
networking driven part community yeah i would say community and incubating in a way because Mm. i think and i say it you know putting women on but you help put me on in so many ways and as and and as well as you put on a lot of women that i know who are in business and through what you do has supported their growth or their success and seldomly especially in our community as africans do we get to celebrate people like you and so (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna make me cry Um, but when I thought of the concept of the show, I had a list of people that I wanted on the show and your name was on that list because I think at some point in all of our careers, for some of us or for some of the people who then get the bigger limelights and the bigger stages mm. to share their successes, what we don't see is the people who help make those things possible. Absolutely. And whether that's through a simple introduction or whether that's through running an event like yours or whether that's the woman who came to an event who felt empowered to start her business venture, which is something you've put on. And seldom need do the people behind the scenes also who are creating these spaces to foster and nurture the ability to create. So a big thank you from me. Um, oh, you're so welcome. And I'm <laughs> truly, truly honored and very grateful to hear that because it's certainly not the intention to go out and get thank yous, but when they come, it's I'm really grateful. Thank well, it's, you. My, it's my perfect opportunity to, <laughs> to thank you to lots of listeners. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. So Women's Chapter has evolved over the years. My first introduction into it was an event. Mm -hmm. And now it's turned into a digital platform where people can connect, they can inspire each other. And also, I guess, a a bigger extension of what you do as a person. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and... and It was very much, I think, everything that I've done with Women's Chapter through its whole kind of sort of life cycle so far has been very much needs-driven. Admittedly, my own needs, Mm. but also the needs of the people in our community. Mm. And I've tried really hard to listen to what people want and to help solve problems for Mm. them and to also remove barriers. So, you know, we did start out originally, um, the Women's Chapter has been running for about six years now, Mm. with really small private client events where I was bringing together incredible women and seeing the dynamic and what was coming out of this and always being constantly surprised that they didn't know each other because essentially you know London which is where these events were operating is a small place at the end of the day yes and yet there were these phenomenal women across you know from a professional background as Mm. well as from an entrepreneurial background Mm. and they didn't know each other Mm. and so I knew very soon that I was onto something there because they were going off after these events and having coffees mm. and investing in each other's companies yes. and becoming sounding boards for one another. And mm. I saw that there was this real need for peer-to-peer connections mm-hmm. because there's a lot of mentoring out there. Mm-hmm. But actually, the higher you get, the lonelier it gets. Mm. And the more and more you need to be able to have people you can trust. And that's been one of the mo- the biggest personal benefits out of this journey is that I've just made the most phenomenal friends yeah. and people that I can 
really, you know, let my head down with, yes. but also can be really honest with about yeah. where I'm at. Because yeah. I think we are all very good mm. at putting on this front that we've got things together all of the time. Yes. And we need to get better at being, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of reticent to say vulnerable because I think yeah. that sometimes implies weakness, but it's about just letting people in and yeah. saying, you know what, today... Yeah. I don't have it all together. Yeah. And a lot of the time I don't. Yeah. And so that gives more, it gives people space to yeah. be able to say the same and share more of themselves. Yeah. I think we're, we're taught to compartmentalize and especially as high achieving women who are given the platform and opportunity, especially from, you know, the African diaspora, you're given an opportunity to excel in an environment that has less challenges as you would back home. There are less macroeconomic challenges, there are less gender challenges, there are less challenges and more availability. And obviously there's a wider inequality discussion across the globe, Mm -hmm. but in context. And then we want to navigate all spheres of our lives winning, hashtag winning. And living my best life. Yeah. And added, Please shoot me if I ever use a hashtag on anything. <laughs> I've used hashtag winning a few times around motherhood, though, I must say. Oh, yeah. But you, you're allowed to high-five yourself when it comes to motherhood. That is, like, unique. But the ability to take, in your case, 2,500 women who are successful in their mm-hmm. endeavors, whether that's professionally in corporate careers or entrepreneurial careers or even public service or civil service uh, careers and give them that platform. How does that begin for you? Obviously, you started with the events as you touched on, but how do you take that and go, I needed to scale this? What was the inspiration behind needing to scale it? Wanting to help more people. A couple of years ago, I have twins and my kids were pretty young when I first started it. And I reached the point where I was on the brink of burnout. Mm. Because what was happening was I I actually still had a day job and I was doing women's chapter on the side and I'd started taking on some consulting clients Mm. and I reached the point where I essentially had adrenal fatigue and it took me ages to figure out what was wrong with me. And I realized that I loved what I did, but firstly, it wasn't paying my bills, but also I could only help like a limited number of people at a time. There was always going to then be something very contained and localized And so I wanted to create and knew very early on that a digital platform was going to be the only way that we would be able to open up and help more people. So some of the features, and again, this is about problem solving, Mm -hmm. is that I wanted to create a showcase of women-led businesses Mm. because I would have people say to me, oh, I want to buy a gift for so-and-so and and I want to buy it from a a business that has a female founder. Mm. And I was finding myself spending time making recommendations mm. and thinking, wow, we really need a resource. Mm. We need a place to go that if you want to support a woman-led business, mm. either through, you know, personally as an individual or through your business, mm-hmm. you can use that as a resource. Mm. So that was one of the first things. And then also it gave those businesses another platform to tell their stories. Mm. Because I think so many women, they invest a huge amount in creating a website or an e-com platform mm. and then suddenly realize they don't have the budget to market it. Mm. They don't have three grand a month for a mm-hmm. PR company. So it's really, it's that bootstrapping kind of mentality, which all of us have been through. Preach. And so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, I needed yeah. to find a way. I was like, how can, how can I create something that's really editorially rich and beautiful yeah. to read and beautiful to look at? Yeah. And that, it is. 
It oh, is, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it has almost killed me last year building this platform because I am not a techie. Yeah. And I think they, you know, most of the businesswomen that I know, if you had to ask mm. them what their challenges are around building the businesses, they usually say people, which I would totally agree with. Mm. And the other thing is tech, because I think generationally, it wasn't something, it's not mm. something that I've grown up with. Mm. So yes, that was a massive stretch for me and mm-hmm. I'm really glad. And of course, once it launched, I wanted to change everything about it. <laughs> but the whole idea was that we could showcase these businesses help them to tell their stories Mm. give them placement in our social media Mm -hmm. content schedules and Mm -hmm. things and really talk about them but then also to connect our audience with them so to i am a really and this is my big mission Mm -hmm. is to connect women or individuals with women-led business because Mm. as you you may know women influence and Mm. make 85% of consumer decisions. Yeah, we do. So the amount of power that we have is exponential. Mm -hmm. And if we had to make a concerted effort to put our spending power behind a woman-led business, Mm. whether that be a gift that we buy or a Mm -hmm. service we procure for our businesses, Mm -hmm. it has a massive effect on the business economy and the Mm -hmm. contribution that those businesses can make to the economy. Mm -hmm. But it also has women all over the country, and my vision is all over the world one yes. day, doing happy dances yes. around their kitchen tables, mm-hmm. on their kitchen tables, yeah. <laughs> in their offices, in their warehouses, yeah. because every single woman I know, regardless mm. of her business stage, mm-hmm. when she gets a sale, she gets excited. We all do. Yeah. We all do. I and think... it doesn't get old. No, it actually <laughs> doesn't. I was watching this uh, interview yesterday, and it was with an American musical artist. And the interview says, oh, so what are your highs? Or what are the affirmations you get? And his response was, oh, when I know I've made platinum with my record sales. And, you know, the interviewer was confused because we're now in the digital age of streaming and his question was, but why? You know, why would that matter in 2020 when you have streaming, etc.? Yeah. And I think there's something about knowing that someone took time out of their day to engage with what you're offering, mm. which is an expression of self or a service or a solution to something that you desperately want to put out into the world. Yeah. Touching on what you've just said around we all dance when there's a sale and not in the same way as, you know, we, we demonstrate like on social media, but for you, I'm sure once you get a new subscription onto women's chapter, it's like, Oh my God, fist pump. Yeah. Or if anybody just says, Oh, I've heard about you or like what you said, you know, someone recommended a member or recommended a brand. It's like, wow, that's a massive validation. It's when that ripple effect begins to happen yes. that you think, okay, this is now like I'm part of something really special. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I have never wanted what we do with Women's Chapter to be about me mm. because it isn't about me. It is as strong as mm. the women that make up our yeah. community. And if those women stop engaging and stop mm. showing up at our events and stop sending me emails, mm. you know, like you did when you invited me to yeah. come to the show – then it ceases to exist. Yes. So it's very much about the community and the people. Mm-hmm. And I have to keep thinking about how I serve our community mm-hmm. because I get a great amount of joy from that. Yes. And my reward really is, you know, that if we can see more and more businesses succeed, because mm. going back to the sort of point about, you know, using the power of our purse, mm. I could tear my hair out every time I read a bank report about mm. why we should be supporting women in business mm. because everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. And interestingly enough, my own bank yes. in the last six years that I've banked with them I've never heard from them yeah. I have told them this by the way so it's not any news to them um, and interestingly enough also my business bank account with yes. them was declined the first time I applied because I'm 
Because I'm African. No, because I have a South African passport. Wow. Yeah. And they told me that because it threw threw me out, the system, the algorithm. (laughs) Because you were not worthy. (laughs) Yeah, I was not worthy. And I was like, seriously, surely we're past all that now. I think these are unique challenges we face that sometimes when people say, what are your challenges in business? And and these are questions you you probably see within the community get asked a lot. Some of them are just so out there that you can't even begin to articulate Mm -hmm. them. Like I'm South African, so the bank won't give me an account. Yeah. How does that have anything to do with your chances (laughs) of banking successfully with them? Well, I think it just highlights the fundamental issues of, of, I think, business banking in general. And I know that I'm not alone in saying this. And I think that's why banks are trying. Yeah. But it's not only banks. It's, you know, and government too. And I know government, it's trying. Yeah. But really, it's a bit like climate change. Yeah. You know, we've seen a massive shift Mm -hmm. in how individuals have mobilized Mm. to make change. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the same, I think, when it comes to supporting women in business. Yes. Every single one of us yes. has to mobilize mm-hmm. and think about what we can do to make a difference. Because Agreed. actually then cumulatively, Agreed. the effect is remarkable. And so there might not need to be you know, umpteen reports out mm-hmm. there every year and Women's yeah. Day, we're gonna be we're gonna be flooded with <laughs> them now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But actually where is the real change? Yeah. Because there are all these businesses, and this is another reason why I built the platform, mm. is there are institutions, often governments, are mm. only interested in businesses that, that turn over a certain amount of money. And rightly and I, so I can say this as a practitioner day to day because when you first start, even when you're talking about grants, bursaries, mm-hmm. you're looking at potential growth. Um, other platforms that will highlight what you're doing, the entry level is in whether you're looking at it in Rand, in Naira, in whatever currency, pounds, Mm -hmm. the entry level is for an SME who has at least 10 years experience. It excludes everyone. And I say 10 years because Again, I don't believe that a business, except for a service-led business or a business where you've had a previous career in it successfully mm. and you're not innovating or anything like that, where you can achieve those numbers. And like like you said, you don't start a business and you're rich overnight. Well, there, I mean, there are some, but yeah, it's... Seldomly. It's seldom. Seldomly. And, and there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes for that to happen. And those sorts of businesses, sadly, are not always female-owned businesses. More likely to be a middle-aged man, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, than they are women. Mm. And, you know, we've seen, I think the statistic is like we've seen in the last decade, a rise of 80-something percent of female-owned businesses. Yeah. Because I think we're now, as females, especially I guess this episode is very female-led because Mm. of what you do, we're starting to see women see the possibilities in their ability to create businesses, to innovate, to create jobs, to contribute to our economy far beyond what we have seen as our our opportunities. And, And I guess understanding that we can create structures around that and have platforms like Women's Chapter that continue to foster your ability to succeed. I digress. I would love to tap into Mm. early Michelle. So your career, you've gone from journalism, marketing, business development (laughs) to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I've had a real portfolio career, which interestingly is something that I was always ashamed of. 
Interesting. Um, and I don't know if that's got to do with, um, you know, from a cultural perspective. You were ashamed because you didn't think you achieved success in each of those? No, I, or? Think, it, I think that it suggested I couldn't stick to one thing. Oh, shame. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I see now how everything that I have done has set me up very well for what I do now. I'm um, nodding. I'm nodding in agreement. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we're taught that we shouldn't try things. We should be a master of one thing. Yeah. But how's that possible, really? Well, for because me, it's you need not. so many skills. But <laughs> yeah. you do need so yeah. many skills yeah. to succeed as an entrepreneur. Totally. Otherwise, you have to outsource a lot, you know. And I and I am a firm believer in putting your hands up when there are things you don't know how to do, mm-hmm. and saying. I need help. I wanted to go to advertising school okay. when I was um, in high school. And I remember going to career counseling or something at mm-hmm. school and them saying, well, you're a really clean split between the statistical side of your brain and, you know, the creative languages and whatever. So yeah. they said, so you should do a Bachelor of Commerce and Law. I think we can all identify to yeah. It's a pivotal time in your life. When where, you actually where aren't the, really in a good place to make no, decisions. Where the but, system yeah. decides whether or not, you you know, you should go for the sciences or the arts, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So that seemed like a good idea. So mm. I went and I remember saying to my dad. What actually, a limiting like, belief, though. Yeah. Well, I was like, I want to go to advertising school. Yeah. Well, that's where I wanted to go. And he was like... You go and get yourself a degree yes. and we'll talk about advertising school afterwards. Mm. And I was the first person in my family mm-hmm. to get a degree. Oh, wow. Yeah, my dad was an entrepreneur who started his business when he was about 17, okay. 18. And um, this is in South Africa. In South Africa. Mm-hmm. And my mum helped him and they worked together to set up his business. Mm-hmm. And he was an electrician and an engineer. So yes. he was very much kind of a tradesman. Yes. And built a very successful business. Mm. Supported you know, by my mum, who I think mm. used to do his books and all, you know, yeah. you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> so for him, it was a big deal that I yeah. get my degree, yeah. you know, and... Um, I guess he knew how hard it was. Well, do you know, in Heinz, I only know now how hard my parents worked. Yeah. I wish I had, my dad passed away about six years ago. And actually I started to formalize Women's Chapter the mm. year that he died. But I think I Incredible. wish I could tell him that I understand how hard it was yes. because he didn't make it look hard, to be honest. You know, I mean, he was a complete workaholic yes. and he loved his work. But I think I completely underestimate now when I think about what he built yeah. and how many employees he had and the yeah. kinds of contracts. I think, God, I'm so small fry compared yeah. to that. <laughs> how do you get there? Yeah, like how? Yeah. And, and I still, and yeah. I think that's why I'm so fascinated by women's stories mm. because I'm so fascinated by how they got there. Do you think it has something to there? do with the fact that your mum in so many ways was as much a part of the success of your dad's business but wasn't at the forefront of it? Possibly. I mean, my mum is one of my greatest role models. Mm. She's one of those people that can do anything. Mm. And, um, you know, when we were growing up, because my dad was always at work, my mm. mother changed plugs in our house. Yeah, she my mum too. Did, she did all those things. Yeah. There is, like, honestly nothing that my mother can't do. Yeah, as which a is kid, so I always, typical of yeah. African mums who are multi-talented, yeah. who are left, and I don't want to say holding the buck, but... Most times I left holding the back of, of... She wasn't allowed to work. Yeah. You know, when my dad was building his business, mm. you know, she stayed home and, and managed all of those other things that get, you know, that we take for granted, yes. I guess, to keep the cogs turning. Yes. But I, yeah, I was always raised to believe, particularly mm. by my mother, that I could 
do anything. Amazing. And that most importantly, even if you failed, you should try. Mm. So I try to say, say the same things to my daughters. You know, we, we don't have to be mm. the best at everything, yes. but we need to try. We try yes. new things yeah. and we conquer fears. Mm. And yeah, so I think growing up, I mean, I went and got my degree. I then got, I did a second degree after that, which was a media studies and communications degree. And that's how I landed up in newspapers. Mm. And what I loved about newspapers was the storytelling Mm. I loved how people just unpacked their lives and their stories mm. and shared so much. And it was actually for the same reason that I left newspapers, because I used to do a lot of hard news reporting, mm. which in South Africa was very difficult. Mm. And I couldn't separate my home life from work. But I also realized how people tell you things and they don't realize how that will reflect in the mm. newspaper mm. or how their story will be spun. And I started to feel that I couldn't be a part of that anymore. So I sort of moved away from that. And then when I moved to the UK, we had a short stint teaching English in Taiwan, mm -hmm. uh, as you do. And then, <laughs> except SARS broke out, which is very yeah. similar to what's happening at the moment. Yeah. And then we kind of went back to South Africa with our tails between our legs after the whole SARS thing. Had to go and ask for our jobs back and saved up some money yeah. uh, to come here. When we vowed we wouldn't come here. Yeah. Because we didn't want to do what all of our friends had done yes and we arrived here when i mean i was 26 years old mm. 25 maybe all of our friends had been here since they'd left school or university yes. they were yes. living the high life they were driving porsches yeah buying houses um yes. you know and we had to sleep on friends mattresses yes you know like one floors for mm. and start all over again essentially mm. so i've done everything from work on a switchboard wow. at a bank to doing photocopying at a law firm. So I kind of did the thing that a lot of South Africans do when they yes. first come in. You know, you get a temp job. Yes, you do. And then you work your way up, up from yes. there. And because of our strong work ethic, yes. those opportunities tend to come your way. Mm -hmm. So, And that's exactly what happened to me. So I landed up eventually working in commodities, mm. doing news and pricing for um, a commodities publication mm. through starting out as a PA sitting on a bank of desks and wow. then realizing, despite them trying to stop <laughs> some of my progression. Yes. You know, it's like talking about those people who are enablers mm. along the way in your career. Mm. There are some pretty remarkable men and women, yeah. probably more women than I have to be grateful for that. Tenacity, I think. So that's how I landed up in commodities. Then got kind of headhunted, mm. loosely I would use that term, because I used to write for the Telegraph. Yes. I did a lot of travel writing. Yeah. And I would often go to weird places for my commodities job, mm. going down copper mines or to aluminium smelters. So, so you've been... always kept the journalism. Yeah. And mm. um, doing travel writing kind of on the yeah. side. Yeah. Or doing um, writing for personal finance section of the Telegraph. I did mm. that for a while. And that was because I had a whole lot of holiday to take the one year. Mm. And I knew a friend that knew a friend. Yes. And I was like, can't you get me an internship there for two weeks? You yes. know, I've got all this holiday to take. Yeah. And I landed up for the first two days opening the mail of the editor. Oh, wow. And then he realized I could write. <laughs> 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 but I mean, it was really fun, you know, I was opening but, but his post I, I, for two I days. I laugh, but I think this episode is great for a young person who is thinking, how on earth do I do it? Yeah. And you're doing this in your 20s. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. there's something about being fearless. And culturally, we're brought up with this concept of shame. Mm. And how could you stoop so low to be opening mail at that age? But through opening the mail, you got your writing job. And I got to network and, and mm. you know, if I ever wanted to work at the Telegraph, I mean, I still, and I'm still in touch with many of the people that I met in that two-week stint there because it also meant I hadn't been able to kind of crack the, the travel editor. Mm -hmm. I walked up to his desk and pitched my story at him on the Telegraph 
newsroom floor mm. you know which you wouldn't get that opportunity unless yeah. you were actually there yeah and i think that's another thing when you run your own business yeah you cannot pull your nose up at any of those things you are at the you bottom are everything of, what whatever my clients ask like whoever sweep the floor yes whatever you want because in that moment i am here to serve mm. i am here to give you a service or a solution and so it's irrelevant how i see myself in that moment mm. because i'm a representation of my business yeah and i think as an entrepreneur there's a certain level of humility i'm finding and and throughout all the interviews actually that the mindset of every guest is no job is too small and actually i'm willing to try anything mm. and i am fearless in my approach and so it's incredible to hear you echo that mm. i mean likewise i've heard stories from the women within our community you know the one lady i remember telling me and, th and you would know of her actually she was saying that um she had a massive order and she had to she got a delivery of a whole lot of boxes for these orders mm -hmm. and when they arrived they hadn't been glued in the right way. Oh, God. And so she literally worked all night on her living room floor, re-gluing all of these boxes so that she could pack the orders. And send it out. And send them out. Horror stories. On time. I yeah. have so many. Yeah. And do you know what? Like, honestly, <laughs> I would not have thought things. that that lady would have ever done stuff like that because she's no. just so composed on the yeah. outside. and looks like she's always got everything so together. And, yeah. and I love her more for that. Yeah. Because we all do have to just dig deep sometimes. And it's character building. And it also makes you appreciate, I think, when you do have people that you know work for you, when mm. you can be in that position to hire people, mm. it gives you an understanding of kind mm -hmm. of the whole supply chain and, and operation of your business. Mm -hmm. So you touched on being a mom mm -hmm. to twins. Yes. Navigating, working while being a mom, starting mm -hmm. up women's chapter, part-time, holding down a full-time job. So you were doing the nine to five, five to nine life plus motherhood yes. with twins. Yes. <laughs> How did you manage that? Well, I think... Looking back now. Well, looking back, I mean, I think a lot of people say that to me, like, twins, how did you do that? Mm. The reality is I had nothing to compare it with. So exactly. I just had to get on with it. Yeah. But how and did you find the hours in the day? What would happen was, and when I would sit down at night, mm. I would get like a second wind, mm. which is obviously everything that sort of contributed to my adrenal fatigue ultimately mm. because I was barely sleeping. And my children mm. have always been terrible sleepers. They are still. A lot of that's got to do with me, I think, because we do perpetuate like those sort of, I don't want to say bad habits, but we often don't allow our children to learn how to soothe themselves. And, you know, I mean, oh, I did spend... I, I've, I've had that conversation yeah. so many times in the UK <laughs> and I've given up because I'm like, this is my way. Culturally, if a baby cries, you hold them, you yes. soothe them. I've given up explaining that this is my way of mothering and I'm comfortable <laughs> with it. Yeah. I get very little sleep, but this is life. And, and it won't so, be forever. No, it's not. And I think the yeah. African view is that it's not forever. And so however challenging these moments are and yeah. like you you know we're navigating motherhood through entrepreneurship and I've had mothers on the show and I want to keep bringing that into the show mm -hmm. because I think we don't talk about it enough amongst ourselves to go we're all finding it challenging no one is sailing through this my way of being able to in my case, have the different businesses or endeavors that I'm, I'm doing is that I have a strong support system around me. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I can do it. Yeah. I don't have family close by. So Same unfortunately, I yeah. have to pay for the support. But 
that's the only way I'm able to do it. No, and I would say, you know, it was the same with us. Mm. I was very fortunate in, in that I did get a year off yeah. in terms of maternity leave because oh. we'd been moved to Paris, actually. Nice. And I hadn't intended to have babies in Paris. Yes. And I was intending that we would have a very romantic year. Yeah. <laughs> You know, drinking Sansa. Yeah. And, you know. And Trips to the Louvre. Yeah, and totally. And um, <laughs> found out actually before I'd even permanently moved there. Yes. That I was pregnant. Wow. And then that I was having twins. What was great about that was I didn't really have to commute for as long as I mm. had planned to. My mm. maternity leave then started. I had amazing care. Incredible. And I also had an instant group of expat friends through yes. the sort of an NCT type group that I yes. did. So in one weekend, we met eight couples. Who amazing. Were all, we were all like instant besties. Amazing. And so I was very fortunate that I was still employed mm -hmm. at the time that I went on maternity leave. And although I didn't get any maternity pay mm -hmm. because we were expats, it was okay. Yeah. And so I'm always grateful because I know how difficult it is when people aren't in that situation and they're yes. forced to go back to work sooner. And if I'd had to go back to work when my children were three months old, yeah. honestly, I don't know if I would be here today. I've, like, I've, worked, <laughs> through, I've worked through it all. Yeah, um, I mean, I was very fortunate. Yes. Like, I think people, and I know so many women who've had their babies in Moses baskets underneath yeah. their desks. Or, you know, and the things we do, I must yeah. say. And that, I, I mean, I probably yeah. would have done that, but I think I was fortunate in that I sort of could turn my Blackberry off and not have to worry about work stuff. Which is but, incredible. But when I did go back to work, it was a baptism of fire. And I also very quickly realized that my role mm. was not what it had been before. Mm -hmm. Because while I'd been on maternity leave, my entire team had been made redundant. Oh, goodness And me. I came back to being the only person. So Within the most the senior team. person, but the only person. Wow. And stuck in a back office in Surrey, which is why I live where I live now, actually. Yes. And that I wasn't client-facing at all. Essentially was treated like I made less of a contribution because I had kids. I feel like this is a story a lot of mums who return mm. back into the workplace face. Yes. I even had my boss at the time said to me the one day, said, I know that your priorities are different now that you've got kids. So your career aspirations clearly would have died yeah, with you. Yeah, apparently. With you. Yeah. Well, yeah. but you know, the thing is, I suppose from their perspective, when I, you know, pre-children had been able to work till 10 o'clock at night, run events every night of the week, yes. I would be available for Skype calls on a Sunday afternoon if yep. that was needed. And suddenly I had to leave at five o'clock to go and relieve my nanny. Yes. So I suppose from their perspective, things had changed yes. massively. But I think I already kind of knew then that I needed to start migrating away to something. That... Into something that worked well for your life, right? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, this, this sort of loops back to what we were speaking about earlier mm. about businesses of all shapes and sizes. Yes. And there's a lot of snobbery around entrepreneurship. Huge. You know, and having a business of a certain size. But Huge. the reality is that if you can create a business where yep. you can pay your bills yes. and you can work around your family yes. and you can be fulfilled and feel rewarded, mm -hmm. you are making an incredible contribution. And I think that is a form of success in my book. Exactly. It, because success is... It really just depends on how you define it and how, mm -hmm. you know, what success means to you in terms of your life. Yes. And so I think I, and that's sort of why I started to make the move away mm. and realize that I needed more. And that, yes, I could have had a job that basically I earned enough money to pay my nanny. And then you're like, but what's the point? I would rather work and be able to pay my nanny, but do something that I actually really enjoy. enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I found or becoming a mum actually for me made me question a lot around the purpose of my work. With Malay, I, we do the work we do with Ripple Reading and helping mm. children from disadvantaged communities and helping, you know, support their education so they thrive through through the educational system. But for our 
customers, our community, there was always this burning desire to do more. And I think for me, it really came to the fore when I became a mum. And it's incredible to hear you say that because I speak to a lot of mums and actually opposite to what the world tells us, which is we then lose our career aspirations or, you know, all of those things. Mm. I find more so that a lot of mums come out the other end wanting to do more for people, not less. And hearing you say that just sparks that in my mind because that's how I felt. I felt like, how do I bring joy into my ecosystem of what I do? How do I bring value to the people around me? And and how do I push forth with that? Because that I felt strongly about. I wonder Mm. if there's something in that for you around how you saw your relationship with Mother Teresa. And when you were much younger and meeting her, I thought that was absolutely incredible, by the way. Oh, that I, yeah, I got to shake her hand, actually. I mean, I went to a Catholic school mm-hmm. and I was raised as a good Catholic girl. And I remember we went to the airport, Port Elizabeth Airport, because yeah. she was coming there. And we stood around for ages and she kind of walked along the queues and then she sort of stopped and she came back. Mm. She took my hand and blessed my little sister. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and it was honestly, and she's got this, she had the softest hands, actually, no <laughs> bones in them. And Shucks, she should have had some Malay then. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but like, it was just, and I've, I've heard that about really kind of spiritual people. Mm. There's something very special about their hands. Interesting. Insert everyone touching hands right at this moment listening to this yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like squeezing How soft are my hands? Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need some Malay. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think one of the things you were saying about the change in mm. when you become a mother is I think I felt a huge responsibility, and maybe you felt mm. this too, to do something that firstly I feel okay leaving my children to go and do. Yes. Because... Yes. One of the things that that I had to also really prioritize in terms of my time Mm. and my energy levels were that if I'm going to do something, it's Mm. time away from my children. Mm. It's got to be something I enjoy. Mm -hmm. It has to be a good use of my time Mm. and spent with people I enjoy being with. And and, and I think also because children who have strong role models, working mothers, I think statistically go on to have successful yes. careers or tend to be more successful yeah I always make sure that my children know that I love what I do yes but that also I wanted to do something that would inspire them mm. because I really do want my girls to know beyond anything that anything is possible for them mm. they can do anything they want to do they mm-hmm. don't have to have a cookie cutter career and I mean I think this would be my message to all young people mm. regardless of how they identify gender wise is mm. that you can make a business work a career out of what you love agreed you've got to have some fundamental building blocks in place yes. and some common sense and some of that you'll figure out as you go along or you'll have or you find people who will help you yeah but I think you really can and that's one of the biggest things that I've learned and that I you know want to share message wise mm. to future generations is you can I've seen evidence of it mm. overwhelming evidence mm. from the people in our community so going back was there anything more you wanted to ask me about my childhood <laughs> it was more well I think we've touched on I guess because I think most people say how do you end up where you are now and sometimes even with a lot of guests I find they don't even realize how subconsciously a lot of those things have influenced where they're at because yes. you saw your dad work through his own entrepreneurial journey mm. your mum hold the fort as it were mm. 
and anything was possible in your world. And so you've approached life in the exact same way, whether that's through your journalism career, whether that's through your career as a marketer, and whether that's now through your career as a full-time entrepreneur. Mm. But that journey is so unique to your experiences that it's taken you to Forbes or it's taken you to The Telegraph or it's taking you to Harper's Bazaar. Mm. And perhaps if you asked 25-year-old Michelle when she landed in the UK, if those things were possible, I think the aspirational part of you would say yes, but the part of you that would say how, and I think the how is always the question. And I hope through this episode, a lot of people who feel like they are a jack of all trades, but master of none would hear your story and understand that your how came through being a jack of all trades. Absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't like to concentrate too much on the how because Mm. it comes when it's really clear, when your passion aligns with your purpose, mm. and I've always got a project, I've always yeah. got an idea, yeah. like it never stops. Sometimes it's exhausting. Yeah. I've the- got here panels, <laughs> pop-ups, articles. Where have you not lived and what have you not done? <laughs> These are my notes. Yeah. Because going through your bio, going through your experiences, I think you're a great example of grabbing at life and grabbing at opportunities yeah for what they are and hearing you share more with us today it's like there is no limit to you know what you can try and what you can do which i think is refreshing for me because at times fear kicks in of course yeah and i think one of the um, sort of mantras that i live by and mm. um, because I actually am quite a fearful person, I think, Mm. is that if there's something that I feel afraid of, and I realize this is a stupid example, but it was scuba diving. And I realized that I really wanted to learn to scuba dive. Mm. And as much as I love being in the water, and I'm a very keen swimmer, I swim a lot, the idea of having all that water above me completely freaked me out, just being so deep. And then I realized that actually because I felt that way, I needed to do it. Yes. I do believe that. And interestingly, I heard a talk by Anya Heinmarsh Mm. on Monday. And she was talking about how fear and excitement Mm. are actually the same thing. Mm -hmm. Just two sides of a coin, essentially. And that whenever we feel afraid or fear, Mm. you can flip that into being excited. Excited, yeah. Yeah. And so I've always sort of had this sort of little thing in my head that if I'm frightened of something, it really means I need to do it. Mm. And there's another one, I think, which I which I used in one of the Telegraph pieces about swallowing the frog first. So, like, if you, you know you've got a hectic day ahead or you've got a, a day of big things that are going to push your boundaries, mm. do the toughest one first. That goes against Swallow the grain, down. Because we're taught, you know, when you're doing exams, they go, do the easiest questions first and then come back to the harder ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. You know? And there is a psychology or there's a thought in psychology that actually tackling I guess once you start to see patterns and you it boosts your mood which then allows you to tackle harder things the notion of fear within entrepreneurship or within evolution in career and what you do is incredible what is your aha moment you touched on people saying thank you but what was the moment for you that you felt oh my god I'm on the right track here with women's chapter I'm not sure if there's one particular... I mean, I had one recently Mm. where I was invited to speak at an event and and offered a lot of money to do so. And I was really shocked. (laughs) Because I was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want me? Because as I said, like, I've never thought about this being about me. So I think that sort of made me think, wow, you know, maybe I've been sought out for this. Yes. 
because it wasn't something I pitched for. Yeah. And it came quite organically. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. It was really flattering. But I think there've been more sort of points of sort of constant Mm. validation Mm. that like I was saying, when I get these emails that pop into my inbox Mm. or when somebody really well-known who holds a CBU on OBE turns Mm. around and goes, I think what you're doing is phenomenal. Yes. Then I'm like, wow. Pat's on the back. Yeah. Well, and one day, you know, maybe that's what might be possible for me. Yeah. And I, this may sound strange to say, but again, I hope it's something that inspires younger people Mm. is that I have always felt always known Mm. that I was meant for something special and it's a bit like success yeah special is how you define it right you know one person special might mean something very different my my thing is I I always wanted to be someone someone okay someone yeah but we're all someone yeah but someone (laughs) someone yeah you know yeah I mean and for me so for me my would I like to be famous I've got Lindsay Boyd in my head now saying yes of course you want to be famous (laughs) Um, course you want to be a guru so yes i think i would want to be known yeah. for making a difference i think you are oh as, as, you. as you say that modestly I, I think you are and i think you're on the perfect path to being i guess our generation's mother Teresa for entrepreneurs <laughs> in every episode i do something where i ask each guest to say their name properly because as third culture Africans mm-hmm. um, or kids who happen to be Africans, we're used to versions of our names being said not correctly. So how is your name pronounced correctly? Well, my married name yes. is Michelle de Klerk, Yeah. Which I think in South Africa would be de Klerk. Yeah, de Klerk. De Klerk. <laughs> But if you say it like that here, nobody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Or they ask me, and I've actually been, I was snapped in the social pages of Tatler. Yeah. I think because they thought I was related to F.W. de Klerk at some party that I was at. Hilarious. And I do, I have met him several times. Yeah. But my maiden name mm-hmm. is Pew Parry. Interesting. Yeah. I which, didn't know that. Yeah. So I used to always write under that name, mm. actually. And maybe one day I will again. Mm. But I abandoned, I mean, I was kind of, I suppose, pleased to leave that behind because in South Africa, nobody could ever spell that. Yes. Whereas still, I have people from university who call me Puggy, Puggy, oh, Puggy God. Perry. I had a lecturer, maths lecturer, who used to take great delight in saying Puggy. But here, maybe yeah. I'd have more chance of people being able to pronounce it properly. So, um, and I always thought that Pew Perry. De Klerk was yeah. a bit much. Was was a lot. <laughs> and, and, and it's like me when they call my name or they attempt to call my name. There's a long pause. I just get up. I know it's me. The pause <laughs> is my name. <laughs> the pause is my name. Um, how do our listeners find you? So the best place would be our website, which yeah. is www.womenschapter.com. Yeah. And there are different, you know, you can apply for free community membership, mm-hmm. which gives you access to all of our events, as well as to create your own kind of personal profile on there to connect with fellow members. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to wait for me to do that. They can yes. connect with each other. Yeah. And then equally for people who want to feature their businesses mm-hmm. and be part of our women-led collective, yeah. there are sort of call to actions on the website for that. I do answer emails from yes. whoever sends them to me. Really? Sometimes I'm not as fast as I used to be, but yeah, I do. And and if you do happen to get hold of my phone number, I'm terrible at picking up messages. So it's best to... E- email. Yeah, email. And when you connect with other profilers, say someone comes in and they try out the platform, mm-hmm. you know, connecting on social media. Absolutely. We are very active on Instagram and that's at 
women's chapter. Um, but equally, we also have a private group on LinkedIn, mm. which for anyone that would like to be part of that community, there's no barrier to entry. You just literally request and I'll accept you into it. And we've got about 750 women in that community. So another place that I'm, you know, kind of on daily is LinkedIn as well. So I'm fairly easy to find if you want to find me. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Michelle, for joining us in this week's episode. Thank you. I'm incredibly grateful. It's been such a pleasure to spend the afternoon with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Third Culture Africans.